following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. The uh, last verse of that song there made me think of something I've thought about so many times, and uh, obviously this was kind of unplanned, so I don't know if I'm giving you two messages today instead of just one with this, but I've often tried to picture... um, my death in the sense of, I mean, that sounds morbid, but just what when I'm laying there in my deathbed and I'm thinking about my life and I'm thinking about what's about to come, what will matter at that moment? You've never stopped and given that deep thought, then that's your mission today, okay? To go home and go somewhere quiet and lay there, sit there, stand there, kneel there, whatever, and, and close your eyes and try to picture those last moments of your life, not that we'll all get that opportunity to have such a last moment, but at that moment, what will matter? The house, the cars, the retirement accounts, vacations, the money, the education, the sports, the what what will matter? And and until you do that and you sit down and you just really think deeply about what will matter to you at that moment, it's hard to get the rest of that stuff, none of which is necessarily bad or wrong. It's just hard to get that stuff in its right perspective. And so will it be enough at that moment when you come to die to say, I just want Jesus, nothing more? That's a little mini challenge to you up front. We're here in Mark chapter 4 now. We're going to turn our attention back into this section that we've been working through here for the last few weeks. And as we have done each week, We're going to read verses 1 to 34 together, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer, asking his blessing on our time and his word this morning. So if you will, please look at verse 1. My slide will work. Either way, look at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and the very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And as he was teaching them, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. 
They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus, just in light of the song and just kind of the things on my heart right now, I just would ask for us, as a church family, as believers, as people made in your image, to have the wisdom to be able to discern the things that are important from the things that aren't in this life. We know, Lord, that this morning as we gather around your word, that this is important, this is eternally important, because your words are truth and they are eternal. And these are the words that give life, that change lives, that change destinies. And so we come this morning, Lord, as a group of rebels who at one point in our life, or maybe even for some in this room still today, lived our lives against you. We did not want to be under your rule and reign. And yet for many of us this morning, you have opened our eyes to see, you have opened our ears to hear, and now we come as hungry sons and daughters, desperately needing to be fed by you this morning. And so I ask that your spirit will do that very thing to feed us today. Speak through my weak words here, Lord, I pray. Take all these thoughts and ideas, and I pray that each and every one of these that accurately represents your truth will drive deep into our hearts, and that we will see very clearly what it is you have for us this morning. Those that do not accurately reflect, Lord, please strike from all of our memories. And so we give you this time together. We ask your blessing on it. Please help us be more like Christ through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this is going to be kind of a weird beginning for you, but I'm actually going to read you the first two words of my sermon, something I don't typically do, but I'm going to do it today. They read as follows, in conclusion. You see, today's message is actually the end of last Sunday's message. If you were here last week, then you will be able to probably follow that a little easier, though I'll try to help those of you who weren't. But, but it's really the conclusion of last week's message, and the reason that I didn't use it as the conclusion to last week's message was because time was running a little short. However, today I don't have a clock, so I have no clue what we're going to do. 
uh, we're just going to go and have fun. But I, I try to be sensitive to time. I try to be sensitive to, to you and what you can absorb and learn. And I just felt like last week, had I given my full and complete thought all in one shot, number one, we would have gone way over. But number two, I felt like we may miss some points along the way that I didn't want us to miss. And so I'm coming back this week to finish what I started last week by looking at the purpose of parables. That question that I asked of several weeks ago, why are they used? I gave you a brief answer. And, and last week we, we looked at verses 10 to 12 and I tried to walk us through that particular passage of scripture using three letter D's, okay, to help us remember some things. And I want to take us back through that really, really quickly so that we can finish out what I think Jesus is trying to teach us here. But here in verses 10 to 12, I gave you these three Ds. The first one was the dual audiences, if you recall that, where Jesus himself breaks up everybody here in this scene into one of two groups, either insiders or outsiders. And the insiders are these people, as you see here in verses 10 and 11, who are with the disciples, with Jesus, sitting with him, asking him questions, talking to him. These are people who have believed that Jesus really is who and what he says he is. And therefore, of course, the outsiders are everyone else, the people who don't really believe that Jesus is or who what he says he is. And to these dual audiences, Jesus gives a second D, a distinct topic. He, he's talking throughout this passage here in Mark 4 about the kingdom of God. And, and, and as I say those words, kingdom of God, again, I'm trying to, over the course of multiple Sundays, drive home for you what this is. But if I could give you just a quick, easy to remember little definition, little description, it's the rule and reign of God. And you might be asking, well, Stacy, doesn't God always rule and reign? Isn't that just kind of part and parcel of who God is? Well, yes, clearly. God is always ruling. God is always reigning. We affirm that. We get that. I understand. But recognize that here on this earth, Ever since the garden, man has been living in rebellion against that rule and reign, has he not? That's sin. That's what sin did to us. And it brought all kinds of terrible, evil things into this world. And so God has since then been working out a plan to reinstitute his perfect rule and reign on this earth, both for his glory and our good. And Christ coming to earth now is the beginning of the return of this kingdom. Thus, Jesus, when he shows up in Mark 1, says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They don't realize it, but it's at hand in him. He is the return of God's kingdom to earth. And with the things he's going to do, will be ushering in this kingdom. Of course, the problem is, as I tried to explain last week, that everyone listening to him, though, doesn't get that. See, they, when they heard God in the Old Testament talk about the one day future return of his kingdom, they pictured something very, very different. They pictured this big, public, amazing display of God's power that would ultimately put everything back right, that would make Israel the, the great nation of God's chosen people that he intended them to be, and, and that he would overthrow Rome, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If, if you listen carefully to that, and if you think carefully about that, you realize that their view of God's kingdom was awfully focused on them, and not quite so focused on God, but that's neither here nor there. And this is what they expected. And so here comes this man, this carpenter from a town called Nazareth, walking down the dusty roads of Galilee, and he's proclaiming that he's the, the embodiment of the coming of God's kingdom, and they're all scratching their heads going, what do you mean? This doesn't look anything like what we expected. And so Jesus, throughout the Gospels, will be unfolding for them a right 
understanding and view of God's kingdom, that it won't be this big, massive, major, wonderful, all at once thing. It's going to come slowly and quietly and maybe even mysteriously as it works its way back through the world. And that's why he calls it the secret here in verse 11. It's the secret of the kingdom of God. It's a truth that they didn't understand before. They didn't know before. But now Jesus is coming and is revealing to them via the means of these parables. The third D then that I gave you last week were the differing responses. And you see that here in verse 12. Because as people hear this message, and it's the same message to everyone, whether it's via a parable or it's via a direct statement, it's the same message to everyone about this, the beginning, the introduction, the coming, the reintroduction, I should say, of God's kingdom. Some people will hear that message and they will perceive it. They will hear it and understand it. And in perceiving and in understanding, they will turn and they will find that God is willing to forgive rebels. They will find that God is willing to forgive them of their sin, their crimes that they've committed against him. They will find God to be gracious and kind and loving. Others, though, will see the same things but not perceive. They will hear the same things and yet not understand. And therefore, they will not turn and they will not be forgiven. And as we compare this passage here with the one in Matthew 13, you realize that the reason they're not seeing, the reason they're not hearing, the reason they're not turning is because they don't want to. Their hearts are hard. They, they have no desire to, to turn from their rebellion. In fact, their rejection of Christ is a continued act of their rebellion, I think you could safely say. That's what we saw last week. That's where I ended last week. But I want to point out to you that Jesus doesn't end his explanation of why he speaks in parables there in verse 12. Because after explaining the meaning of the parable of the sower, which was the original question, if you'll recall, that was asked in verse 10, they asked, what what does this mean? Can you explain this to us? After explaining that in verses 13 to 20, he concludes his comments to the disciples here in verses 21 to 25 with a couple of lessons, I guess I can call them. I I don't really like the word lesson, but I can't think of a better term. They're truths, they're observations, they're they're something. Lessons, I guess, is fine. He he concludes with a couple of lessons that are stated, ironically, I think, in in parables. And you can pause with me just for a moment. If you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, I told you that when I originally looked through verses 21 to 25, I wasn't quite sure how to take them. And the reason for that is because this entire section that we're in is an intercalation, right? An intercalation is that big story where you take a a smaller story and you insert it in the middle of it. And so this whole section is an intercalation. And it began in verse 1 with Jesus out by the sea, and he was teaching everyone about the kingdom there by the sea. And then in verse 10, we switch scenes to this private setting where he's alone with this group, and he's explaining things to them. And the problem for me was... Where did that little middle section end? Did it end in verse 20 or did it end in verse 25? And what I said to you, and I'm just repeating this so you can understand even how I think through uh, these passages when I study them. My my reasoning, my struggle was this, is that he's speaking in parables. And typically he doesn't do that with his inner circle. He typically just speaks very directly to them and he speaks in parables to the crowds. So I thought, well, he's speaking in parables. That must mean he's speaking to the crowds. And yet when you look at the content and context of what these specific parables in verses 21 to 25 are saying, that seems more directly aimed at his insiders, his inner crew, his his believers. 
And ultimately, when you're in that kind of a situation and you don't exactly know how to interpret the scriptures or like divide it out like that on a point, always go with context. Always go with context. And so because the content and the context seems to be more directly uh, aimed and tied into what he's saying to the disciples, I believe that these verses are his concluding comments to the disciples about the reason why he uses parables. And he gives them, via these parables, a couple of, again, lessons that we are going to look at this morning. So what are the lessons that Jesus uh, gives from his explanation of the purpose of parables? Number one, we learn something about the purpose of revelation in general. Something about the purpose of revelation in general. He, He begins with this parabolic question here in verse 21. Is a lamp to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. Now just stop and recognize this is rhetorical because you obviously know the answer to this. You're in the first century, there's no electricity, it's night, it's dark, your house is is all closed in and there's no light inside, you don't have a fire in there, you don't cook inside your house because that's dangerous, you cook out in the courtyard or in another building. So you're in there in the dark and you want to you have a little bit of light and so you get a, a, a lamp, a little first century clay pot. It's filled with oil, a little wick in it, and you light it, and you bring it and say, everyone, I'm sorry it was dark, but I brought a lamp in. I'm going to put it here, and I'm going to cover it with a basket. And you still can't see. Well, I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it under the bed. That's a good idea, right? Because now my bed will catch on fire, and we'll have lots of light available. Uh, clearly, that, that's not the point. Jesus recognizes the, the silliness of the question. Of, of course, if you're, if you're going to take a lamp and put a basket on it, that's counterproductive. You put it under a bed, that's the same. You take a lamp, if you've lit a lamp, you take it and you hang it from a lampstand or you set it on a lampstand. Why? Because the purpose of lighting a lamp is to give light. Well, that's, this, is, this is what Jesus is saying in relation to the parables. There's, there's nothing that's hidden that's not going to be made manifest. There's nothing secret except that's going to come to light. The, the purpose of revelation is to reveal The purpose of communication, God's communication to man is is to communicate. When we read the scriptures, when we hear Jesus speak, we recognize that he's not doing this in a mystical way that's difficult or or impossible to understand. He speaks to us so that we can understand. That's why he he says here, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And I would just make three little, little comments about this. Uh, section here. No, notice again this repeated command to hear. We've seen it over and over in this section, and we're going to keep seeing it up until the end of verse 34. Jesus is very, very concerned that the people who are listening to him actually hear him. Because you do recognize if you have children that you can listen and not hear. Uh, Jesus wants his people to hear these truths that he's communicating to them. Secondly, Notice that, or just understand that this is why I have been repeating the fact to you that when we come to parables, and I would say when you come to all the scripture, the key to interpreting, the key to understanding is just to read them normally. Just plainly, normally. All the scripture this is true of, but particularly here in the parables, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. You don't communicate to someone if the purpose isn't communication. There is nothing in God's revelation to man that is intended to be hidden. He has told us so that we can know things. We may not know everything, and we may not understand it all perfectly, but the purpose of communication is to communicate. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. 
And number three, when I say to you that the purpose of parables is to reveal truth to some and hiding it for others, that, that explanation that I gave you a few weeks ago, I want you to hear in that that the distinguishing factor, whether it's revealed or hidden, is not found in the parable. It's actually found in the hearer, which, which is an important point. In fact, I think it's Jesus' second point that he's making here. Not just the purpose of revelation in general, but the importance of hearing. Because in verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. And I'll stop and just say, what's he saying here? Again, it's this kind of parabolic statement, almost like a proverb of sorts, where Jesus is, I believe, placing responsibility on us to be good hearers. He's placing responsibility on us to be good hearers, and he's going to show us what happens to us based on how we hear. He, he places this responsibility on us in verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. When I speak to you and I say, listen, if, if you have ears to hear, hear. There's a reason why he's so concerned that they hear. This is a command and exhortation to not simply let the truth of Jesus' words pass one ear out the other, but to give consideration to God's truth and make a decision with it. And talking about the measure that we use, Jesus is referring to how we value what we hear here in these words. Do we hear the message of the gospel? Do we hear the message of the coming of the kingdom of God and accept it as truth? Do we submit to it, to submit our entire lives to that truth? Because if we do, then that response, our acceptance, our submission will be measured back to us and more even will be added. In other words, those truths will have an impact on our lives now and in greater impact in the future. It'll change us in more ways than we can know. Lingering repercussions for us and for our lives based on that acceptance, submission, and belief. Well, in the same way then, if you hear the message of the gospel and the message of the kingdom, and you do not accept it, you do not submit your life to it, well, guess what? There's lingering repercussions of that as well. Truths that we have rejected that will affect us and change us in more ways than we can know, both now and for the rest of eternity. Thus, Jesus' last comment, I think, in verse 25, when he says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. People read that and they, they get all kind of bent out of shape. They think, is this a, is this a promise? That if we, we have you know, knowledge or we have whatever faith, that God's going to give us more and a threat then to those who don't? That, that even what little bit they have is going to be taken away from them? God is he's giving them a warning here? Well, I don't think it's a promise, nor do I think it's a threat. Though I, I think there's a warning aspect to this, and I'll address that at the end. I, I think it's simply a statement of reality in terms of spiritual things, of how we live, of, of how we interact with truth. I, I think maybe this would help you understand it better. The writer of Proverbs does this same kind of thing over and over and over again in relation to wisdom. So, so for example, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them, but... Whoever listens to, uh, to me, to wisdom, wisdom is speaking here, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. In other words, the foolish person who continues in their foolishness 
ends up in destruction where the wise person who listens to wisdom ends up in life. What the foolish person had is gone. What the wise person had is added to. You see it again in in Proverbs 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 15, last one. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fool, a fool, it feeds on folly. You see what the writer of, of Proverbs is doing here? He's saying that one of the marks of a wise person is that they grow wiser. Through instruction, through through learning, the wise person wants more wisdom. They want to grow in wisdom. They want to grow in understanding. And if you speak to them, if you teach them, if you instruct them, what happens to the wise man? Wiser still. One of the marks of the fool, though, is that he loves his folly. That he rejects teaching. He rejects instruction. He feeds on folly, he says here in Proverbs 15, and it, it leads to a life of destruction. Well, in a similar way, when it comes to these spiritual truths of the gospel and God's kingdom, the person who has ears to hear and eyes to see God's grace and knowledge given to us in Jesus, guess what they grow in? <laughs> the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The person who can understand these truths of the gospel and God's kingdom, their life is going to be more and more marked by the fruits of those truths. They will grow in those things more and more and more, and it will eventually lead to their blessing. But for the person who rejects those truths, who doesn't have ears to hear, who doesn't have eyes to see, their heart grows colder and harder throughout the rest of their lives, and their life becomes more and more marked by the fruit of their rejection of God, and eventually it leads to their destruction. You know what people, you've seen people's lives like this, where they have rejected and continue rejecting and continue rejecting, and their lives just go further and further down in the spiral of destruction. And apart from God's grace, there seems to be no hope. So, so when I say to you that the purpose of these parables is to reveal truth to some and hide it from others, what I want you to hear from that is, It's not so much about the parable itself, it's about the hearer. Which is why Jesus keeps repeating this command so much. The one who has ears to hear will see in the parables these deeper truths of God, of the return of God's rule and reign in their lives and in this world, and they will grow through them. And the one who doesn't will see nothing and will be unchanged by them. Thus, thus the warning. Thus the challenge. Thus the exhortation to us is to hear. Jesus speaks those words, listen, hear. He who has ears to hear, hear. He speaks it to the believers and the unbelievers alike, to the insiders and outsiders alike, to hear. To to hear of what he's doing, to hear of his truths, to hear of his kingdom, to hear of God's coming rule and reign, to accept, to submit, to live the rest of your life under it. Because to the one who hears, there is great benefit and joy. And to the one who doesn't, there is great danger. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, these are very brief words. And yet, the, the warning, the exhortation, the command here is such that we cannot overstate it. 
you yourself repeated numerous times in this passage the importance, the significance of hearing. And Jesus, again, I know that in front of me this morning are people at all different stages of their spiritual life. Some have heard the message of your gospel and the message of your kingdom. They have accepted it. They have believed it. They have submitted their lives to it. And today they are attempting as best they can and all their faults and failures to live their lives as children of this kingdom. But there are others in this room who have not. They continue to listen, but not hear. They continue to to read, but not understand. And God, there is nothing, nothing I can do or anyone in this room can do to open their eyes. That is your work. And so we come this morning and we ask, Father, whether it's people in this room, it's our neighbors, it's our co-workers, it's family members we have, will you open the eyes of those around us to hear the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the message of Jesus, and to respond, to, to perceive, to understand, to turn, and to be forgiven. Lord, this is what you wanted us to see, that, that your truth is meant to reveal, and yet it's up to each heart to respond in faith. And so God, help us to be faithful in our proclamation of these messages. Help us to to see fruit, Lord, fruit that only you can give, so that here as we minister in and around Hampton Roads, more and more and more people will submit their lives to this kingdom that you have brought. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through it. We ask your blessing on it that you will continue to help us understand you and your word better in Jesus' name.